Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're going to go ahead and dive into the Word. Go ahead and turn into 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, so, I have this thing whenever I feel like my notes are too long. I send my notes to my wife and Caleb first, and I say, help me weed out some of this stuff. Because today I have like 13 pages, or 12 pages of notes. I did get some down. I have 12 pages of notes. Now take in mind, I do use 18, you know, font, so I can see it with my older eyes. But uh, I, have eight, I have 12 pages of notes, which normally is about half that. And I, and I, but I, whenever I get that point, I, I send it out to, our leader, uh, to my wife and to Caleb. I say, help me weed this out. They looked over it and they said, I don't know what you cut out. And so then I said, oh, no, this is not good. I'm only doing six verses. And so I sent it on to uh, Teresa and Cindy. I said, hey, what can I weed out? They're like, I wouldn't take out anything. So um, I'm going to talk really fast today. So I've had lots of coffee. I'm pretty jacked up right now and on coffee. So uh, if I twitch a little bit, it's probably not the Holy Ghost today. It's probably just jitters. But um, I'm going to go really fast today. We're going to get through this. But it's such an interesting topic because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, we're going to identify how, according to the word, versus how the world responds in the last days. Because the whole thing starts out that in the last days, and I don't know about you, but the last days started to me the minute Jesus was taken to heaven. I mean, I realize there's the last, last days, and we're talking about revelations, there's these things, but it says in the last days, perilous times. After Jesus got, left this earth and ascended to the Father, we, we, we are in a condition, a situation, a position of, of where we are dealing with the last moments and the days. And so as followers of Christ, we should have a counterculture lifestyle, counterculture to what the world has, counterculture to the way they act and behave. And so uh, today we're going to go through this, and i got a little definition for counterculture. It's a way of life instead of attitudes opposed to or variance with the prevailing social norm. So it's counterculture, counter to what the world is doing. So the word gives us power against sin, not just prayer. It takes more than just uh, prayer. It takes the word. The word is what makes our prayers powerful. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not sin against God. This is, if you don't take any other note, write this down. You probably take lots of notes today, but if you take any notes, write this down. The power of prayer pulls from the promises of God that are in the word. The power of prayer pulls from the promises of God that are in this word. It's so important we understand that because, in fact, the prayer group that's happening, which is not going to be able to meet this week or next week because of the, 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 the miracle night and the honor celebration, is great because they are praying Scripture. They are walking through Scripture. Because my own words pray sometimes my selfish ways. My own words pray what I desire versus what God desires. But when I pray the scripture, I can't go wrong. Whenever I say, Lord, here's your word, and I begin to pray through the scriptures, and I begin to let it come from inside me. That's why it's so important that we hide God's word in our heart, 
that we can do it. That's what these girls have done. That why do we do things like Awanas? Why do we do things like Earl's Ministry and JBQ? Put the Word of God in them so that they won't sin against God, that it'll be in there when they need it, that they can draw from. And so today, that's kind of what we're dealing with. We're going through 18 things that the Bible talks about in these scriptures that are in the last days characteristics that are counterculture to the Word of God. And so we want to deal with that. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, which we're not going to get to today, calls them imposters of the faith. We all have these attributes at some point in time because, why? we're all human. We're all flesh. We all are people. We are all real people. Oh, I don't mean to draw attention. I just saw Gayla here. It's good to see you too, Gayla. We've been praying for Mike and Gayla as well with COVID. I'm so glad to see you today. Um, the question still remains is this. Does your life still reflect the world or does your life reflect the word? Now, I got to tell you, I'm human. You're human. In fact, you've heard me say before that if you're looking for the perfect church, you're at the wrong church because we are all people just trying to find God, working through our salvation, and we've got a church shirt out there that now just says no perfect people allowed. You know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, nobody's perfect. We're, Jesus, we're to strive to try to be there, but we're not there yet. And so if they've come in looking for the perfect church, you've come here today saying, is this the perfect church? No. So there's times where I still struggle. I struggle with responding with what my flesh wants to and what the world does. But I pray, and when the Lord catches me, I respond to the way the Word wants to. And so that's kind of what we're going to go through today. So beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. In fact, King James says perilous times. It makes you feel like your world is in peril because it is. And Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, he says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He didn't say that in this world, once you receive Christ, you'll have no problems. In fact, he said you'll have troubles. There's going to be troubles as long as we're here on this earth. As long as we're here, we're going to face problems. He's never promised me a rose garden. He's never promised me life would be easy. In fact, the songs today, so powerful. It is well with my soul, written into some of the deepest sorrows uh, that a husband could go to, lo losing his family. Uh, that God is good, and God is still God, even when everything falls apart. I mean, what a tremendous list to go with this idea that, that there are things, there's going to be trouble in this life. Verse 2 goes on and says this. It says, for people will love only themselves. That's how the world responds. The world responds by loving only themselves. The Word responds by love Jesus and others. The world says it's all about me. The Word says I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to love people with all my heart. We're going to love Jesus and we're going to love people with all our heart. Love thy own self distort, distorts the world and destroys our relationships. When we love ourselves, we destroy relationships. When I care more about me than I do you, I destroy relationships. Being, being someone who is, loves themselves first will never work in a marriage. If I care only about me and my needs, and I don't care about the needs of my spouse or my kids, then, then I put my needs first, all of a sudden I destroy relationships because I, know, I never put them first. In fact, Men, we've got to understand this. One of our jobs as husbands, as dads, as fathers, as head of house is to sacrifice and lay down our lives first. If there was only one piece of bread in the house, 
You're going to split it and give everybody a piece of bread. You're going to say, not me, I'm going I'm to wait. <laughs> Hopefully nobody's at that point this morning. Selfishness is one of our greatest enemies, I believe, here specifically in the United States. Care about me. Romans 13, 8, uh, first part says, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to do what? Love one another. Owe nothing to anybody except for your obligation to love one another. Uh, Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law, everything, everything that you've seen written in the Old Testament, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I have got to love people. I've got to love you. I've got to love others the way I love myself. That's the whole thing summed up. It's interesting when you read through this how much we struggle with loving others, putting others before ourselves, and pulling our own self back. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40, he says, Teacher, which one of these is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all, uh, and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. Everything. In fact, the Ten Commandments is laid out in two sides. How, our, our relationship with God and then our relationship with other people. Love God, then love people. This is hard. How do we do this? You know the very first thing how we do this? We have to die to self. Paul said, i got to decrease so that, God, you might increase. God, I've got to be less of me. How would Paul, it's it John, the Baptist said that. But he said, I must decrease that you might increase. I must, I must pull back. I must allow you to have front and center. I've got to do these things so that you can be first. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. It's about putting him first and loving him. We've got to die to ourselves. It's about doing and realizing if we're going to reach this world, we're going to have to love people where they are. And people are messy. Messy. It's easy to love people that are like-minded. It's easy to love people that look like us, act like us, smell like us. It's hard to love people that have a different opinion. It's hard to love people that have a different point of view. I mean, in the church world, I heard another minister say this. I didn't, I, I, so, so now I don't have to get in trouble because I didn't say it. He said it. Um, but I saw a minister on, on uh, Facebook, someone had reposted, and it just simply said this. He said, <clears throat> we have split the church into groups. If you, you, you either believe in masks and you say that people who don't wear masks don't care about other people and what's wrong with you, you have no love for anybody else. And then the people who don't wear masks say you don't have faith in God, you don't trust God. Then you have the vaccinated people who says, why would you get vaccinated to protect people? And the unvaccinated people says, As I just trust God and I don't believe why I do this. And, and he says, why can't we just love people where they are? Here, here's what I believe. I believe... Whether you believe that COVID is a great conspiracy of the world or whether you believe it's a real uh, disease that we're fighting and people are dying from, let me tell you this, can we just all pray that COVID goes regardless? 
Let's center around the things that we can't agree upon and move forward because the, the, the enemy's job is to divide, to destroy, and to conquer. And so we love one another. We give one another. This is the idea behind it. Jesus always put others above himself. It goes on in verse 2. It says, for love only themselves. And he says, and then their money. The world loves their money. The word says that we're to be extravagantly giving and generous. To give to the poor, to love people. In fact, I love the place where he gives a parable and he said that there was a poor man and he goes through this whole thing and he says, Lord, he says, you know, could you love me? He says, when did you love me? He says, when you visited the sick, you loved me. And when you, when you loved on them and when you gave them food, you loved me. But when you did do those things, you didn't love me. I thought, man, that, that, that is what he wants us to do. We are to love people with our actions. Our actions of love will show that we are his disciples. How we give to other people. First Timothy chapter 6 says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. When our first love is in God, where generosity is easy. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 and 14 says, As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God and your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of your overflowing grace God has given you. There's nothing wrong with having money. I believe God wants us to have money. He doesn't want money to have you. That's it. And so for some people, it's, 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 it's what has them. Tithing and honoring God is a basic elementary Christian principle. It shouldn't have to be overly taught and over, because it's a basic principle that when we begin, we begin to give to the kingdom. It goes on in verse 2 and it says, this will be, bo- uh, uh, they will be boastful and proud. The world will be what? Boastful and they'll be proud. But the word says that we're to be humble. To be humble, uh, this is a heart attitude. Humility is a heart attitude. It's where I am in my heart. Humility is something that, that we don't walk around boasting. And, 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 and listen, we, we like to act like boasting is just for guys, but, but everybody does it. We all like to be boastful and proud. Uh, and, and we go through this, and we, we challenge one another. Uh, and, 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 so, and then some people go the extreme the other way. They just are self-deprecating uh, and say that they're not anything and stuff like that. But, but neither, that's a whole other attitude to deal with. But it's a hard attitude. Being humble is a real hard attitude. It's, it's putting others first. It's, it's, Jesus said, if you want to be great, you got to do what? To be the least. It's about being humil- humble. It's about having a humble attitude. It's about, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Boasting is an outward expression of people who love themselves first. Pride is revealed in our actions. How we stand, how we talk, how we deal with people, pride affects all of that. Then it goes on in Timothy, and it says, disobedient to parents. (laughs) Now the parents are leaning in, and the kids are like, oh, great. Disobedient to parents, because the word says that we're to be teachable and obedient to authority. Um, (laughs) 
I would say this to students. Many adults look back on their life and wish that they would have listened to the advice of their parents a lot more. Very few of them get later on in life and think, I knew my parents were idiots. <laughs> in fact, there's things that if I would have listened to my parents, that would have saved me from a lot of problems, a lot of troubles. But I was so smart in my 20s that I knew so much more. And I was so smart at 16 and 17 and 18. <laughs> but now I look back and I realize I wasn't. Because why? I lacked experience. I lacked life experience. I didn't have the experience. Now with the experience, I look back and think, if I would have listened to that wise counsel, that wise advice, it would have saved me from a lot of heartache and a lot of problems. In fact, I would say this. If you can't honor and obey your parents who you can't see, how, can you, uh, how will you ever be able to honor and obey God who you can't see? It's about submitting under the authority of your parents. It's about submitting under authority. It, it sets the tone for whether you'll submit under authority later on. Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother and this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on this earth. Because if you don't, Brian, verse 4, they will kill you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Um, no, but it's the first promise. With, it's the first commandment with the promise. If you are obedient, if you do what your parents say, if you honor your father and mother, if you honor them, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life. Obedience is outward, but honor is inward. Do you honor those in authority deep inside? It's a hard issue. Because I have, obedient, I have been obedient to authority uh, <laughs> with humble, honoring, grateful attitude, and I've done it bitterly, biting my tongue and complaining along the way. Every time Sondra tells me to do something, I get... No, I'm kidding. I usually do what she says. She's my favorite. <laughs> so they disobedient the parents, and then this next part of verse 2, it says they're ungrateful. The world in the last days is ungrateful, but the word is thankful and appreciative. The, world, the, wor oh, the, world. the word says that we're to be thankful and appreciative. We live in a world that is so unthankful for everything they get. Anybody who works in customer service will tell you that people are the most unthankful things in the world. Are we unthankful? Are we unthankful for what God has done for us? Are we unthankful for the situation in our life? Are we unthankful for when people do the right thing for us? When people go out of their way to be, do things for us, are we thankful or are we unthankful? Do we verbalize it? Do we show it in our actions? Or do we say one thing with our mouth and then treat them like we're very unthankful for what they've done? As, as kids, we get it. We, we watch our kids grow up and we get frustrated. We get mad. They open up their presents at their birthday party or at their Christmas and they throw the, the present aside because it's not what they really wanted. And they keep tearing into the next one and the next one and the next one because they're really unthankful because it's not what they wanted. They evidently did not want socks and underwear for Christmas. That was not on their Santa Claus list. And so they're unthankful. And we get it in kids. The problem is, as adults, are we unthankful? 
When people have gone out of their way to do things for us, step it up. Do we, think that it, do we just expect it to be done for us, or are we thankful for it? When someone does a great job, do we thank them for it, or are we unthankful, saying, you should do a good job? What is our attitude and how we treat, how we preach? It's, we get to see, the problem is, is when it's, it's, it's a never enough attitude. No matter what you do, it'll never be enough to make me happy. When we have the attitude that no matter what's done for me, who's done it for me, it will never be enough. I always want more. I can never be full. I can never get to the place where I'm, I'm good with it. That's when there's a problem with my thankfulness. No appreciation for the sacrifices that other people have made. I'm going to say this without any hesitancy, but I think the veterans of this country understand that probably better than anyone. People who step out and enjoy their freedoms that they experience here in America without realizing the sacrifices of those who have gone before to pave the way. And if they will be unthankful for those sacrifices, how much more will they be unthankful and never be enough when God does something for them? You see, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Most people just want to be appreciated. Then he goes on in verse 2. After he says they will be ungrateful, he says they will consider nothing sacred. The world considers nothing sacred. But the word says that we're supposed to have reverence and respect. Say, nothing sacred. Human life, abortion, it's not sacred anymore. The sanctity of marriage is gone, even in the house of God. Virginity is no longer what you expect, and it's no longer respected as people are growing up. In fact, most people expect that people have already been sleeping around, and there's just no... There's nothing sacred anymore. There's no honor. There's, no, there's, there's nothing like that. There's no reverence or respect for the things that we should be holding dear in our lives, especially as people of God. Now, when the world does it, it's not wrong for them. Why? Because it's morally accepted. But if we're believers, it should be a, 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 there should be a, a level of respect and reverence for these things that God says should be treated holy. Have we lost our ability to have a sacred respect and reverence for the things of God? Then it goes on in verse 3 and it says, they will be unloving. The world will be unloving, but the word says that we're supposed to be loving and compassionate. That Greek word unloving uh, is, is, is a relational thing. It's a relational type thing. It's a family affection, especially of parents uh, to their children. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says love never fails. Do we have a relational kind of love for people? Or are we unloving? Are we unloving when it comes to the people around us, the people we work for? Are we unloving in our home? It's so important that parents demonstrate godly love in their home. Love comes home for dinner. <laughs> love comes home for dinner. 
Men, women, what are we so busy with that we can't sit at a table or around the, with our, our family and do, do dinner? And, and I realize some nights it don't work out, but, but love comes home. It's, it doesn't keep saying every night, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. Because one day you're going to get older and your kids are going to leave the house and no one ever says, boy, I wish I would have worked more. You know what they said? I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Nobody ever says, I wish I'd attended one more meeting. I wish I would have gone to one more uh, uh, trip. I wish I would have done one more job. I wish I would have done this one more thing my boss asked me. I wish I'd have got one more promotion. At the end of their life, they think, I wish I would have spent more time in my family. Love says no to something so I can say yes to my kids. Remember this, every time you say yes somewhere else, you're saying no at home. In order for me to say, yes, I can stay late. Yes, I can go on that trip. And there's nothing wrong with trips. I'm not saying that. But when it's all the time and we're gone all the time, when we say yes to that, we got to have the understanding that we're saying no at home. When we say, yes, I'm going to work late, we're saying, no, I can't go to my kid's football game. No, I can't go to my kid's uh, baseball game. No, I can't go to my kid's soccer game. No, I can't do this. Every time we say yes, we're saying no somewhere else. Love honors your spouse, hold on, even though you're divorced. Ouch. You don't know my spouse. Love loves people even when they've done wrong. In fact, there's a great story, and I asked if I could share it, so I'm not sharing. But there's a, there's a person in our church that their sister has cancer. And her husband and her are divorced, and they're split up. And when she got cancer and could no longer take care of herself, he moved her back in his home. He takes her to all her doctor's appointments. And he loves her the way Christ would love her, even though they've been divorced. Love loves beyond the emotion of the moment. Because love, contrary to our belief, is not an emotion. Romance novels will teach you that love's an emotion. I believe emotion follows love, but lust is an emotion. Attraction is an emotion, but love is a choice. I love my wife, and she loves me. I love her when I feel it, and I love her when I don't feel it. She loves me when I say the most loving things, and she loves me when I say the most stupid things, which is often. She loves me when I take out frustrations from my kids on her. Because love is a choice. It's not an emotion. Love is so much greater. I choose who I love. And that's why when you have no greater love than this, but you would lay down your life for your friend. Love encourages your kids, even when they're frustrating you. goes on, it says, that in verse 3, it says, They will be in loving and they will be unforgiving. The world is unforgiving. The, the word says to be forgiving. You will always, you'll always be right, and you don't need to forgive. Luke says this, and it's often used in, the, in the, the, this verse for, for finances, but it really doesn't speak about finances. But in Luke 6.38, it says, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, we like to use that in finances. We like to use that with the prosperity gospel. We like to use that. But read the verse before. Read verse 37. It says, do not judge others, or you, and you will not be judged. Do not commend, uh, condemn others, and it will come back, or, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and it will be forgiven. See, the context of verse 38 has to be taken from verse 37, that what he's talking about is when you love, when you forgive other people, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Woo, that changes everything. It changes the whole context of a lot of things that a lot of us have been taught. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ, has forgiven you. And it goes on to verse 3, and after it says unforgiven, it says they will slander others. Slander others is what the world does. The word says encourage and uplift others. We are to encourage and lift up others. Slander is malicious gossip and lies. Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Be careful who we slander. Be careful who we gossip about. Be, be careful who we, 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 we spread and, and, and share things with that we don't have all the facts for. In fact, most things that we say, we don't have all the facts. Most things I heard somebody say. My favorite is, there's a lot of people upset. <laughs> and you find out one person's upset. Two people are upset. Three people are upset. Verse 3, slander, no self-control. The world says, don't have any self-control. Don't worry about it. The word says we are to be self-disciplined and self-controlled. We, are, we live in a world where we are very undisciplined. Hey, let's talk about me for a minute. <laughs> I'm talking about you being undisciplined. When I stopped running... And, and, and I, I no longer was running. I didn't stop it. I didn't discipline my eating habits. I gained weight. It, I didn't understand how it happened. It just happened. No, I didn't discipline myself. I didn't count calories anymore. I didn't run. I didn't burn more calories than, than I took in. So I, I, I got bigger. I got unhealthy. I, I, I allowed things to happen. My blood pressure went up. There was fluid in my legs. It's terrible. You got to medicate to overcome all because why? There's consequences for me not being disciplined where I should have been disciplined all along. We're just undisciplined with our tongues. Sometimes we get mad. We say things out of turn. I, I, I tell our, our, our any, anybody who's ever done marriage counseling has heard this statement. When you lose your temper, you lose because nobody knows what you said. They only remember how you made them feel. Every marriage counseling, I've always said that. Why? Because I have said things out of anger. And I've made people feel less than. And they don't remember what I said after that. They only remember that I made them feel small. And it's a whole lot harder to get over the emotion of how I felt then than the words that they actually said. Unable to rule yourself. Who tells you no most often? Do other people have to tell you no? Or are you disciplined enough to tell yourself no? Well, obviously... <laughs> There's certain areas in my life where I have not said no enough. But my wife is trying to help me do better. 
<laughs> but I'm a hard nut to crack. <laughs> All right, no self-control. And then it says in verse 3, they will be cruel. I think that if anything happened over this past year, I think we, we've heard people, their studies out going about it right now, is that people have learned just to be cruel. No filter. In fact, we don't think we have to have a filter. Just say what you want to. Put it on social media. Say it in person. In fact, we used to be kind of backhanded. We used to just say things on social media and not really say it in person. Now people just say things in person. They forgot how to be nice to one another. How just to love one another, appreciate one another. Just cruel. The word says that we're to be kind. Mean and rude with your words. We're mean and rude with our attitudes and mean and rude with our actions. Verse being gentle, being caring, and being kind. We are to be different than this world. Then he goes on in verse 3, and it says, hate what is good. They hate what is good. The word, the word, I mean, the world hates what is good, but the word says that hate what is evil and love what is good. Haters of divine good. People will hate what God's doing in your life. In fact, the enemy doesn't like what goes on in your life. Some of us are going through the greatest battle of our life while we're on the brink of one of the greatest miracles of our life. Every week as we get closer to this miracle night, some of you have already been, been emailing in that healing at harrisonfaith.org and you've been sending your prayer requests. Some of you have just been in your heart, been praying about it. And as you've been praying about it, the more you prayed about it, the more it seems like things are unraveling. But don't give up. Don't lose it. Don't go by what you see. Trust God's word. In fact, when Lazarus was in a grave and he was already dead for three days, it looked like it was over. But when Jesus came and spoke a word, all of a sudden what, what looked like was obvious wasn't obvious anymore because that sucker got back up. God can speak to your situation and God can speak to your life and he can turn around what looks like is over. Don't give up on what God can do. God is still greater than our problems. It says in verse 4, it says, they will betray their friends. They will betray their friends, but the word says that we're to be loyal, friend. Choose to be loyal. Choose to be faithful. The greatest need that you need is a loyal friend. Verse 4, it says, they will be reckless. The world is reckless, but as the word says we're to be attentive and caring. We're careless with our words. We seem to be careless with our jobs. We're careless with our relationships. We're careless with our families. But the Bible says, the Word says, we're to be attentive and caring to those things. Then it says they will be puffed up with pride. The world will be puffed up with pride, but the Word says that we're supposed to be deflated with humility. Are we out to exalt ourselves or others? Do we allow people other chance to talk? Do we uh, ever ask them questions about their life, or do we just ramble on about ours? I'll tell you, there's a there's a what I would call a friend of mine that's in ministry, and every time we get together, he tells me everything that's going on at his church, and has never ever asked me what's going on in our church. Why? He don't care, and that's okay. I'm a good listener sometimes. Maybe not with my family all the time, but I'm a good listener other places. <laughs> it says they love pleasure rather than God. The world loves pleasure more than God. But the Word says to love God more than pleasure. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then you'll have all the other things. 
Seek God first, then everything else will come about. It's about establishing our priority system in our lives. It's about having things in order. It's God first and other things second. God's number one. He's the first priority. Everything else falls in line with that. And then in verse 5, the very first part, it says, they will act rebellious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. They will act religious. An external presence of God, that external appearance of looking godly. And they will reject the power that will make them godly. The word says we are to live holy and embrace the power of God's grace. It's about looking versus being. We're, to bo- we're supposed to be versus just look spiritual. The word is powerful. And it's through sanctification that we become more like him. It's that process of growing closer to God. Self-effort cannot clean us or make us better. Then, in closing, it just says this in verse 5. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who will work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. We sum all these 18 things of this. How are we doing with these 18 things? At the very beginning, I said all of us have had these things in our life at some point. Some of us still struggle with them. Some of us have gotten better. What are the areas as we read through these things that we need to work in our life? What are some of the things that as we read through that these 18 things will be signs of the, the last days, which as we're reading, we're like, of course it's happening right now. The question is not whether it's happening in the world. The question is, is it happening in you? And if there are some of these things that are happening in you, are you working against them to make them counter and line up with what God's will is in your life? Are you lining them up with the word? What I've learned about these things as I'm studying and I'm reading is that this is not a one and done situation. This is a lifelong process. This is a lifelong process that God is working in us to change and make us better. My prayer is that as we've been going through 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy, that we would work so hard at becoming more like Jesus. If ever there was a need for us to be the Bible that people read, it's now. I could literally go through each one of these 18 and I could tell you where I failed. I could tell you where I failed a lot of them recently. I could tell you some success stories. But I believe this is why we have to do this. Paul said, I die daily. Because daily I have to wake up and I have to say, flesh, you have to die. I can't go on. I, I got to be what God wants me to be today. I can't allow things to overtake my mind. I've got to do what God wants me to do. I can tell you things that I failed at, tell you things that I won at, but the truth is it's a daily fight because the world and the word is always at war within me. One time I had a big illustration in here and I had a big long rope. And on this side it was the flesh and over this side it was the spirit and in the middle was me. And in my mind, whatever had my attention is what's winning the tug of war. And I think that's the way it is with daily life. Whatever I focus on, if I focus more on the, on the world, all of a sudden I get pulled in that direction and I find myself failing and my spirit begins to lose. 
But if I will turn myself to the other side, all of a sudden the other side begins to lose and I begin to win. And it doesn't mean that the pool's not there. It doesn't mean the struggle's not there. It just means that this side is winning. I've just got to keep concentrating. I've got to keep my mind on the things of God. I've got to keep my mind on the word. I've got to pray through the word because my prayer is only powerful because of the word of God. My prayer is not powerful because I'm the one who's praying it. My prayer is powerful because when I pray the word of God, it's what impacts other things and the spiritual things around me. It's the word of God. So here's what I ask. I ask everybody standing. stand and we'll, we'll dismiss it in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to let Pastor Caleb dismiss us. I just ask us as we're standing and we're worshiping, just say, God, search me. Search me, oh God. Is there any wicked way in me? And Lord, deal with that in me. It's not about your spouse today. It's not about your kids. In fact, don't go home and ask your kids, did you hear what Pastor Brown said about obeying your parents? No. Listen, let the Holy Spirit convict your kids and let the Holy Spirit convict you. Contrary to popular belief, you are not your kids, Holy Spirit. You're there. God's put you there to guide them and direct them. But sometimes they hear the same word. Let the, it does a lot more good if you let the word do it versus if you do it. So just let, leave them alone. Leave your spouse alone. And she's going to leave you alone. And he's going to leave you alone. But let the Holy Spirit convict you. And as you find those things, just say, God, Lord, I want to do better. I want, I, want to, I want to love my kids better. I want to love my family. God, I, I, don't, I, want to say, I want to say no more. I want to say no more at work so I can say yes more at home. God, I want to say other, I want to do the right thing so that I won't do the wrong thing. God, I, I want to love people better. I want to do things better. I want to speak better. God, Lord, work on me. And as we do that, we're going to love people better. And I'm telling you, this house will be full because people are dying and hurting to see the real Jesus Christ stand up and we keep showing him a wrong version. I want us to be able to show a pure and holy version that's built on God as God works on us. So worship with us and as we worship, I just want you to give it all to God. Pastor Caleb will dismiss you shortly.